Hey, it's Jag, a special edition of the Jag Show podcast today. I'd like to start by introducing you to somebody. This is the voice of Bill Leaf. A dying game resurrected on the shores of Onondaga Lake. It's been since elementary school since many of these top condition athletes could showcase their athletic prowess. But now the Onondaga County Parks Department has given this little kid's game a big league feel. Welcome to the Co-Ed Adult Kickball League. As you can tell by that clip, uh, Bill's sense of humor was, in fact, legendary. And this is something that I've done in text form on his birthday every year, October 10th, and also the anniversary of the day he was killed, which was January 8th, 2006. So the reason I share this story every year is I want to keep Bill's memory alive and Also, if it stops one person from drinking and driving, it's worth it. On January 8th, 2006, my best friend Bill Leaf was struck and killed by a drunk driver in Syracuse, New York. Bill would have been 40 this weekend, October 10th, 2020, and I thought it'd be kind of a cool thing to do this as a podcast this year and honor his memory. So I'm going to tell you the story. I'm going to try to get through it uh, in pretty close to one take. I have a box of tissues here if I need it. I'm going to largely read my post that I normally post and maybe uh, ad-lib a little bit as we go, but uh, here we go. So it was Saturday night, January 7th, 2006. I was doing my radio gig for what was then Club Rave in St. Albans, Vermont. It had been a good night, even though my wingman Brett and I had to TiVo the football game. So it's about 2.15 in the morning. Brett's helped me take down the radio station banners, and I looked at Brett and said, man, we need to get Bill Leaf up here. He was the king of one-liners, and he would have owned the bar that night. And I'd been trying to get Bill up to visit Vermont for a while, except his dad had been stricken with ALS, and he was spending most of his time in the hospital with his dad, so his trip to Vermont was on hold temporarily, or so we thought. So right around the time I was talking to Brett about Bill, Bill was on his way to WSYR Radio in Syracuse, where he worked. He'd spent the evening with his boy Brian, and he wanted to read up on the following day's New York Giants-Carolina Panthers NFL football game. The problem was, now remember, this is January 2006, he only had dial-up internet at his house, so he wanted to go to the radio station and make use of the faster internet connection. Really, it's funny how these things work. If he'd gotten in the car 30 seconds earlier or later... What if the Giants had played uh, the Saturday game instead of the Sunday game that weekend? Those what-ifs were just endless. But as fate would have it, shortly after 2 a.m., Bill was headed south on Interstate 81 in Syracuse, right under the Court Street overpass. Shortly before that, a very drunk Matthew Benedict, after being overserved at two downtown bars, got into his mom's F-150. He'd had no license due to his previous drunk driving convictions. Benedict was so wasted, he went up the off-ramp and entered the highway on the wrong side. He was headed northbound, but in the southbound lanes. So as Bill rounded the corner at Court Street in his little black Pontiac, he must have seen the headlights of the truck approaching him. He swerved, but didn't have enough time to react and was hit head-on. We assume, and those who were on the scene have verified for me, that the impact was so sudden that he was killed on the spot. He never had a chance, and the only good news is that he didn't suffer. So oblivious to all this, 300 miles away, Brett and I grab some food at Price Chopper and settle in to skim the Patriots' annihilation of the Jaguars on my TiVo. And by the time we wrapped up and went to bed, it was about 5 a.m. and my cell battery was almost dead, so I turned my phone off. I never did that. And I don't think I've turned my phone off when I've gone to bed ever since. 
So about 8.30 in the morning, my phone rings. Freaking telemarketers, I thought to myself. After a while, everyone I knew called myself. Nobody would call my house phone. So I rolled over and let the machine pick up. And I hear, John, hey, it's Maria Leaf, Bill's sister. I need you to call me as soon as you get this message. So I jumped out of bed and grabbed the phone. I was so kind of groggy. I said, Maria, hey, what's going on? She said, I'm afraid I have some really terrible news. Now, at this point, the only logical assumption was that her father, Bill Sr., had passed away. The man had been in deteriorating health for quite some time. So when Maria said, my brother was hit and killed by a drunk driver last night, my brain heard my dad died. After a second or two, I realized that wasn't what she said. What? She repeated it. Oh my God, oh my God, I'm so sorry. So Maria, always the level-headed one, continued, I really hate to ask you to do this, but can you start letting all the Syracuse people know I'm on the road driving up from D.C. and I really don't have anybody's phone number? Yeah, sure, no problem. So I hung up and stumbled down the stairs. Brett was asleep on the couch. When he heard me come down, he sat up and looked at me and the look in his eyes basically said, what the bleep are you doing up? We went to bed three hours ago. So I managed to spit out the sentence. Bill Leaf was killed by a drunk driver last night. Oh my God. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go back upstairs and start making some phone calls. So I turned on my cell. There were two voicemails about 6 a.m. and later. One was from our very good friend, Matt Del Signor, who'd worked with Bill at WSYR. Hey Jag, it's Matt. Call me when you get this. It's important. The other voicemail was far worse. It was from Kim, Bill's on and off again girlfriend of the last eight years and really his best friend. I don't remember what she said, but she was bawling. The next hours were kind of a blur. I don't remember who called and in what order. I called our good buddy Jay at home in Connecticut. His cell was also off, so I called the house. I had to have his mom wake him up at 8 something in the morning so I could deliver the news. Um, could you wake him up? It's important. Called our friend Katie Bell. She soon rushed me up the phone so she could call Kim and check on her. So I returned Kim's call. She and I must have talked 10 times that day. I called Christina, the girl that I was dating at the time. There were other phone calls. At one point, I didn't know who else to call, so I called my mom. I was sobbing and stuffed up when I called her, and when she heard my voice, her first question was, Do you have a cold? No, I'm crying. Told her what had happened. I could tell that she just felt so awful for me. There was nothing a mother could do in that situation besides listen. Later, I found out that Matt was agonizing over calling me. As a co-worker of Bill's, he'd gotten the news very early, and he was faced with the daunting task of calling me to tell me my best friend was dead. And later that day, he had to anchor the news and read the story about Bill on the air over and over. I don't know how he did it. Meanwhile, I was agonizing over calling Brian Drakes, Bill's high school best friend, who we'd been hanging out with that night. He called me back shortly before noon as Brett and I were about to go make a Dunkin' Donuts run. Hey man, what's up? Uh, Sit down, I have some bad news. Dude, I just found out that one of my best friends is going to jail. Nothing you could tell me could possibly be worse than that. Brian, sit down, this is worse. So I had to break the news to him. He was just dumbfounded. He called a few more times that day for the details of how, where, etc. He went to the scene, tried to digest it on his own. The rest of the afternoon was a blur. And God bless Brett, he sat patiently on the couch as I made and fielded what must have been hundreds of phone calls. Brett stayed over an extra night just so I wouldn't be sitting there alone. And as I've told him every time I've seen him since, for that I'll be eternally grateful. So that was Sunday. Monday, I go back to work at the radio station. I was filling in nights that week after our night guy had blown out his knee, I think. So I talked about Bill on the air, and listeners called in with support in their own stories. I'm glad I did it. And the week wore on, and plans for the funeral and wake and everything came together. So Thursday, I headed out to Syracuse. I must have stopped four times during that five-hour drive. I was so nervous. My stomach was just in knots. 
And at one point on the New York Thruway, I was talking to my dad on the phone. He asked me if this was the hardest thing I'd ever done. I told him I'd know after it was over. In hindsight, I don't think there's any doubt. So the wake wasn't until Friday, but Bill's dad's health had deteriorated to the point where he couldn't be let out of the hospital, even for his own son's funeral. So the decision was made to sort of bring the wake to him on Thursday. Much to my surprise and honor, the family had asked Kim and Brian and I to be part of it. Uh, I got to the hospital before Kim, and when I saw her in the lobby, I just ran up to her in one of the biggest hugs of my life. Soon, Brian and uh, Mrs. Leaf and Bill's sisters, Marie and Julie, showed up, and we all went up to Mr. Leaf's room. And the last time I'd seen the guy, he was a big guy ambling around the house in his underwear like any dad. But when I saw him this time, he weighed probably less than me. If you knew me at that time, you knew how little I weighed. Uh, It was tough seeing Bill's dad like that, but not nearly as tough as what was next. We all made our way down to the hospital's chapel in the basement. Uh, They were going to bring Bill there so we could read parts of our eulogies, and Bill's dad could see him one last time. Kim and I walked down that hallway arm in arm because if we didn't lean on each other for support, we would have fallen over. And then came, without a doubt, the single worst moment of my entire life. We turned left into the chapel, and I saw my best friend laying in a casket. I, I remember gasping some semblance of, oh my God, as my knees buckled. Unfortunately, Kim was there with me to help me stay upright. She'd already had that initial shock as she'd gone to help identify the body earlier in the week. So we ran through parts of our eulogies, mainly for Mr. Leaf's benefit, and then Brian saw something that I, to this day, am thankful that I didn't see. When they wheeled Bill Sr. up to the casket, he reached out, touched Bill, and muttered, That's my boy. The word heartbreaking doesn't even come close. So we wrapped up the mini-service. Kim and Brian and I went up to the Syracuse campus to Acropolis, the Greek pizza joint, and we laughed. They remembered Bill's impressions of the guys that worked there. You want slice? Brian pointed out that every time he'd asked for a poison song in his satellite radio, one came up. They were Bill's favorite band. I'll come back to that later. We had a couple slices. I called up Professor John Nicholson at Syracuse's Newhouse School. He was Bill's and my favorite professor in college, and he liked the both of us. And fortunately, by some stroke of luck, he was in his office. I went up there and shot the shit with him for quite some time. Following that, off to Katie Bell's house in Liverpool. She lived, ironically, not far from Bill. She must have had half a dozen of us sleeping on pull-up beds, floors, guest rooms, you name it. She put us all up. She and I got some dinner, and we played cards with some other friends and finally all headed to bed. Now, Friday was the wake. I warned people that the sight of Bill would be quite the shock, and it was for most. In the end, I was just in awe of how many people showed up. Bill had a huge influence on my life, but so many others as well. Andy Jones and Andy Demetra came up from the Carolinas. Every politician in town was there. After all, Bill had interviewed most of them. In addition to being a 25-year-old struck down in the prime of his life, he was also a local radio and TV personality. At the request of Bill's friends, believe it or not, they were flowers from Poison, again, his favorite band, and a signed football from New York Giants head coach Tom Coughlin. There was a constant slideshow of pictures, even Bill and me in Fenway, me in my Yankees suck t-shirt. My most vivid memory from the wake, though, was Professor Nicholson. I went to shake his hand and instead reached out and gave me a big hug, and I introduced him to Kim, who was quick to point out how Prof N was Bill's favorite, and the professor seemed genuinely touched. Later, we stopped by to see some of Bill's co-workers, Erica and Aaron, a few others. We shared wildly inappropriate stories about Bill and had a ton of laughs. And then was off to bed. I showed my eulogy to a few people for their thoughts. In hindsight, that was kind of silly. What were they going to say? Gee, Jag, I don't know. It kind of sucks. So Saturday morning, Matt came and picked me up. We were both pallbearers, uh, so we get the funeral home early. On the way there, we said that we needed to do a better job of staying in touch with each other, a promise that I'm happy to say 
Coming up on 15 years later, we've kept that promise. Stood up in each other's weddings, even. So we head in, all the pallbearers get our white cotton gloves, and then right as the service is about to start, I lost it. I bolted to the men's room, I bawled it out, a little embarrassing when I later found out that everybody could hear me, but I composed myself and came back. On with the service. We got in the limo to head of the church, and I'll always remember this, the hilarious group of guys that were pallbearers. Myself, Jay, Matt, McDonough, Drake, a friend of Bill's from high school. We were all cracking jokes all the way to the church just to relieve the tension. Funeral service was interesting. Catholic service done by a retired priest who Bill knew as a boy. He'd previously had the audacity to tell us that we had 10 combined minutes for a eulogy. Sorry, Father, but it wasn't going to happen that way. Maria got up, spoke about 10 minutes. I was later floored to find out she was going off notes she'd written on the way over. I guess that's why she's such a great reporter. Kim followed, and then Brian. And the priest looked at Maria like, come on, we're way over our time here. But Maria could just only shrug at him. So when Brian finished, I didn't want to run the risk of being cut off and not getting my chance. So I leapt up to the microphone before anybody could stop me. The one thing I remember from the service itself was Kim across the aisle in one row behind me. She was fine one minute and a mess the next. Uh, This cycle just repeated over and over. It was heartbreaking. So we left the church, headed for the cemetery, and as jovial as the limo had been on the way to the service, nobody said a word after. So finally, after a few minutes, I blurted out, Will somebody please fucking say something? With a police escort and seemingly endless line of cars behind us, we eventually got to Woodlawn Cemetery in the mausoleum. Some more prayers as everybody paid their final respects and laid flowers in the casket. The six pallbearers stood off to the side, each of us doing something different. One looked straight up, another looked straight down, a third looked straight ahead. As for me, I didn't say a word. I just had tear after tear rolling down my cheeks. Katie told me later she couldn't look at us. It was so bad. Everybody laid their flower. They walked past us solemnly. Except for my boys, Kenny and Matt. They gave me a huge hug, which I desperately needed at the time. Everyone headed back except for the six of us pallbearers. We had one final task putting the casket in the metal vault before we lowered into the ground. Hearing that metal lock into place was this sickening sound that brought a finality to the worst day of my life. So Saturday afternoon, head back to Katie's, take a nap. Emotionally drained, doesn't even begin to describe it. You know, and then Katie had everybody over that night as a little shindig to decompress. We had some laughs. We listened to some of the homecoming mix CDs that Bill had made us over the years. He always loved having us all back in Syracuse for a weekend. Finally, everyone else left. Katie went to bed, and it was just Leon and me. There we were. We hugged goodnight and didn't let go for 20 minutes. It was tough. So finally, on Sunday, it was time to leave. Kim and Leon and I stopped at the Dunkin' Donuts by Bill's house that I'd been to with Bill a bunch of times. We sat at a four-person table, that group of four of us that hung out so many times senior year, and Leon had said, that seat shouldn't be empty. And then in one of the most difficult moments of the weekend, Kim finally cracked. She'd handled everything so well for a week, and she knew it. But what do I do when you guys leave, she asked. I don't want you to go. I briefly thought about quitting my job then and there and never going back if it would mean helping Kim. I felt awful about having to leave. But I did. You know, got back to Burlington in time for the season premiere of 24, back to work on Monday, worked like crazy all week to catch up on stuff after having been out that Thursday and Friday. And then finally that Friday night, for the first time in two weeks, I had nowhere to be. I picked up some food and I headed home. And I listened to Brad Paisley's When I Get Where I'm Going. It was a recommendation from my friend Brandy. And finally, all the adrenaline wore off. I sat down on my bed and I cried. No, no, I didn't cry. I bawled my eyes out for a good 45 minutes. Finally, I let it all out. And thank God I did. 
There have been so many things in the last 15 years that Bill's missed out on, all the ups and downs of my personal and professional life I would have liked to counsel him on, landing my dream job in Detroit, losing it, going to New Orleans, coming back, getting married three years ago. It sucks that Bill couldn't be there standing next to me when I got married, but I did get a nice text message from Kim that afternoon of my wedding. Hey, just wanted to send a quick good luck text. Thinking of you two tonight, no doubt it'll be a great wedding. Bill is always with you. He'd be so happy for you, and I know he would have adored Ellen, especially for agreeing to marry you, LOL, just kidding. But seriously, he truly cherished your friendship. You will honor him the most by loving Ellen with all your heart. It's what he always wanted for you, to be happy. I have no doubt he will be there in spirit all night and guiding some wildly inappropriate liners. Best wishes and lots of love from the Cuse. Orange emoji. Champagne emoji. (laughs) I do feel fortunate that Bill was at my wedding in spirit. It's Jewish custom to make a charitable donation prior to a wedding, so we donated the cost of two plates, Bill and his guest, to the scholarship fund set up for him at Syracuse. I was also thrilled that Bill's sister Maria could be there. She ended up at table 11, Bill's favorite number after his favorite player, Phil Sims. We didn't plan that, but maybe Bill just had a hand in that when we did the tables. And I really am thrilled and grateful that Maria and I have become such good friends over the last 15 years. It's not just because of Bill either. She's a legitimately important friend in my life, and I'm so glad she could be there. And of course, we played Bill's favorite piano man and all sang along in a giant circle at the end of the night. I'm sure Bill will be happy for all of us, too. Matt's worked at some amazing radio stations and now has his best job title ever, Dad Times Two. Our good buddy Jay got married as a dad now as well. I might have stolen the idea to play Piano Man at the reception from him. Maria worked to pass the Bill Leaf Brandy Woods Law in New York State, creating harsher penalties for repeat drunk drivers. I'm sure Bill would think it's cool that his name is on a law. And also Kim is now married to a great guy with two kids of their own. Bill will be happy that she's happy. And of course the Giants winning two Super Bowls, but let's not go there. Tragedy hit us once again in October of 2018, two years ago when our good friend Leon, after giving birth to twin boys in March of that year, died suddenly in her sleep. Uh, There's no doubt that Kim and I wouldn't have made it through that weekend in January in 2006 without her friendship and support. Um, And now I can't get that image of that Liverpool Dunkin' Donuts out of my head when Leon said that seat shouldn't be empty. Now there's two empty seats of that four top. Of our senior year group of four, only two of us are left. Bill never saw 26, and Leon never saw 39. Bill's passing led me to be a fierce advocate against drunk driving. Leon had many postpartum complications after delivering her boys. We thought she was out of the woods, and she was back to work and tenaciously advocating for maternal health in the U.S., a country which lags far behind the rest of the developed world in that area. And fortunately, a number of people have taken up the cause in Leon's honor, and it's my hope that we get better in that area as well. In a moment, I want you to hear from some voices other than mine about Bill. But before that, Included in my text post of this every year, or my blog post, is my eulogy for Bill, which I delivered in Syracuse on January 14th, 2006. I was so nervous, I read it so fast. Hopefully it's a little bit more intelligible this time. Here it is. The funny thing is, I've actually been writing this speech in the back of my head for about seven years now. I always figured I'd be giving it at Bill's wedding, not at his funeral. Bill always loved being the center of attention, so there's no doubt he's watching all this now, smiling, probably cracking a few one-liners up there. We pondered some of life's great mysteries together, from football, classic rock, and girls, to some deeper stuff, too. A couple times he said to me, man, I wonder who would be at my funeral. Well, Bill, here's your answer. The outpouring from this whole community over the last week has been truly astounding, particularly when you consider that Bill lived his entire life in Syracuse, and he was damn proud of where he came from. 
Our freshman year in Sadler Hall, we used to hear the students from big cities like Boston and New York hating on Syracuse. The city's not big enough. There's not enough mass transit. The bars are only open till 2. There's not enough to do here. Hearing any of those complaints truly offended Bill. As a native son of the Salt City, he would go out of his way to tell people what a great place this was. And seeing how this community has embraced him, his family, and his friends, he was absolutely right. Many of you knew Bill as a voice on the radio, or maybe the occasional sports guy on Channel 5, but I feel it's necessary to tell you a little bit more about who he was. Always the life of the party, and the self-proclaimed king of one-liners, and king of randomness. I met Bill at our first floor meeting on Sadler 5 a week before the Labor Day storm. We got to talking about life and sports and soon discovered a kindred spirit in each other, a passion for football. Being from Boston, I'm a huge Patriots fan. I soon learned that my obsession with the Patriots was matched by his for the Giants. And soon we discovered we shared a sense of humor and a similar view on the whole world as well. Because after all, when you're 17 years old, you know everything. Freshman year, we watched the Orange Men versus Virginia Tech in the Dome. Donovan McNabb threw a touchdown pass with no time on the clock to pull the upset. Bill, Kim, and I all stormed the field together. Kim and I thought we lost him, but sure enough, there he was in front of the Vatech fans, taunting them with his Dome Sweet Dome t-shirt. Five years later, we were reunited on Marshall Street, celebrating the basketball team's national title. Bill and I stayed in close contact throughout college, eventually becoming roommates in a South Campus apartment our senior year. It was without a doubt the greatest year of my life. Anybody who knows Bill personally, has worked with him, or even gone out in the town with him, will understand when I say that there was never a dull moment. In fact, the most difficult part about writing this speech was picking out the stories that are actually fit to be told in public. We bonded over big events. We pulled the rare double roommate all-nighter twice, once to write our history theses for our minor, and once to finish our long-form TV news packages for Professor John Nicholson's television reporting class. Naturally, we waited to the last minute to start both. The only thing worse than one procrastinator is two because they tend to demotivate each other. Hey, Bill, think we should start those papers? Nah, man, it's Thursday night. Let's go out. Yeah, Bill, you're probably right. But as you might imagine, it was the stupid little things that brought us even closer together as brothers. Earlier on in the year, we decided the apartment needed some sprucing up, so we drove to a gas station, found a Welcome Back student's Snapple banner, and borrowed it. We tacked it up on our wall and had all visitors to the apartment sign it. All year, we debated who would keep it. In the end, he let me have it because he knew how badly I wanted it. That's just the type of person he was. Two months later, for the only time in our college careers, the Yankees lost the World Series. We celebrated in the backyard, in full Mets and Red Sox gear respectively. Our Yankee fan neighbors next door were about to call public safety on us, but Bill used that charm of his to talk them out of it. In addition to being the funniest guy in the room, Bill was a good friend, always looking out for those around him. Anybody can tell you about him helping them out with a story or a personal problem, something like that. But he made it his personal mission senior year to get me a girl. He introduced me to the girl that eventually became my first serious girlfriend. But prior to that, he acted as my own personal tour guide at the SU bars, explaining what to drink, what to say to girls, and more importantly in my case, what not to say to girls. Because of course I had no idea what I was doing. But Bill's the type of person that can initiate a conversation with anyone, and I was happy to ride his coattails. Bill was my best friend, so I knew what a great person he was, how funny he was, and what a joy he was to be around. But over the last week, I've been surprised to see how many others were able to realize all of that, too. There are people here from all over the country that knew Bill just well enough to know what a great guy he was. My friend Kenny from Boston hung out with Bill and me maybe five, ten times tops. When he heard the tragic news, he called me in tears, asking about the arrangements. In the few times he'd been out with us, Bill had made such an impression on Kenny and made him feel part of the group that he knew he had to be here today. Bill made many of us feel like family, but the truth of the matter is, he always made sure his family came first. 
The reason Bill wasn't there with me when my Patriots won their first Super Bowl was simply this. He always watches the Super Bowl with his dad, and he couldn't break that tradition. Several months ago, he was planning a trip to visit me in Vermont, but canceled everything when his father took ill. Catching up with him on the phone in recent months was tough to do. Bill was getting up, going to work, going to the hospital to be with his dad until the end of visiting hours, then going home to help his mom with all the family affairs in his dad's absence. I think that says a lot about him as a person. On top of all of that, he was occasionally doing sports on WTVH5, something he was very proud of. He'd always wanted to do TV sports, and now he was doing it in his hometown, where his dad could see him. He was always hesitant to take some small-town starter sports job in another part of the country because he didn't want to be away from his family and Kim. Bill and I were there for each other in the good times and the bad, including stretches when we both went through a sort of quarter-life crisis. The assumption in that term is that at 21, your life is only a quarter over. For those of us who are fortunate enough to have him in our lives, we will no longer have the corny, often inappropriate jokes that accompany that smile of his and that look he always had. He was so proud of his jokes that he would eventually disable your defenses and make you laugh with him. And yes, ladies, the eyes. He knew he had them. I want to conclude by breaking a cardinal rule of journalism and quoting something without attributing it because, well, I don't know where it comes from, but it seems appropriate. When you were born, you were crying and everyone else was smiling. Live your life so that when you die, you'll be smiling and everyone else will be crying. In his short 25 years, Bill had the uncanny ability to make everyone around him smile. And as time goes on, each of us has stories that we'll always look back on and we'll laugh. The real tragedy is we'll never know what he would have come up with in the next 50. Bill, I always loved you like a brother, and I know I always will. So that was my eulogy for Bill, given at his funeral. So it was kind of a last-minute thing, but I put the call out on social media if anybody had some stories about Bill to share. I wanted to honor him in honor of his 40th birthday this weekend. And here's what I got. Hey, this is Jake Avella, and I met Bill our junior year at SU. I met him through our mutual friends, Lee and Frank. They would constantly just be telling me funny stories that happened in their class, and, and so many of them came back to funny one-liners that were delivered by Bill. And they were always telling me, oh, you got to meet Bill. You got to meet our buddy Bill. He's great. And Bill more than lived up to the hype. Uh, I think I, I met him at a party, uh, became a fast friendship for us. And it was just an awesome last couple of years at, at college, going out to all the parties and the bars with Bill and the crew. And, and Bill was definitely the the ringleader. He had the funniest jokes and all the good one-liners. Met a lot of great friends through Bill, which I appreciate to this day. But not only was Bill the life of the party, there was also a great depth to him. And, and I think that's what so many of us appreciated because when the parties were over and you were home for the bars, you could have real life conversations. And, and it was just one of the most meaningful friendships I've ever had. And you know, I just miss him a lot. Hey, all, this is Bill's sister, Julie. One big thing I can remember about my brother is his sense of humor. We both kind of share that together. I remember our prank phone calls as children. Um, my brother used to love to prank phone call our elementary school. We actually got in trouble once with the town of Clay police over it. Over a period of time, we had prank called our elementary school and said various things to the principal about his last name. His name was Mr. Dazen's. So he would call him up, and his first name was Harry, actually. So he'd call him up and say that he wanted to kick Harry A. Dazins in the raisins. (laughs) The school eventually found out who we were, and they called the town of Clay Police and tried to press charges on us. And I just remember we got grounded for like a week or two. And we also liked to prank call Teen Talk together and come up with fake problems. And I just remember a specific incident where my brother 
called Teen Talk, and he was on the air, and he took the phone and decided to stick it in the toilet and flush down the air, which we thought was hilarious at the time. And then I remember my father picking up the phone upstairs, and this is back when we had a landline, and he was screaming on the phone, telling us to hang up the phone and stop playing games. And all of this got on the air on 93Q. Here's Brian Drake. Wow, Bill's going to be 40. <laughs> That's crazy. It's so sad that we didn't get to see him, you know, grow and, and get married and have children and, and be a part of our lives as much as we would be a part of his. Uh, I still remember his 21st birthday, his 20th birthday, and having a ton of fun going out. And, you know, Bill was a guy that loved to, to have a good time and, and go to the bar and, and see his friends and, you know, bring that party atmosphere wherever he was. I can't start a Bill story without thinking about the times we had at Poison concerts. Not everybody's a fan of 80s hair band Poison, Brett Michaels, and CC DeVille, and Bobby Dahl, and Ricky Rocket, and I can't believe I remember those guys' names. But I loved how Bill was such a fan, and he was just unabashed in his love of the band Poison. And he would buy their albums, I remember telling him one time, like, Bill, why, why are you still buying Poison CDs, man? Everyone's downloading things. This is early 2000s. And he goes, ah, they need it. And I, it just, him saying that was, was so cool. So we would go to Poison concerts. And I have this photo of him still running the parking lot with a huge Poison flag He's got a bright orange poison shirt on and we're just having a blast and he's just in his element, man, because he can love his favorite band and he's around other people. We're going up to guys who they've got their shirts off and one guy had like duct tape over his nipples and he had like a swear word written on his chest and we're like, we got to hang out with this guy. So we went over and we tailgated with him for a minute. That was always so fun seeing him. Just enjoy life, uh, enjoy his passion for sports. I think Bill's love of sports, love of the Giants, passion for the NFL made me a bigger fan, make me work harder to research things about my favorite team so that I could come back on him, you know, with his arguments. You know, you can't have just a one-sided argument when somebody has all these facts and you look like a dope because you don't care as much, so... His passion for things was infectious, and it made you care. I always go back to our great times in high school when we were editing the nightly news, the Henniger High School student newspaper, and the great times we would have sitting in the back of Mrs. Carlucci's journalism room, editing stories, trying to make the paper better, trying to make people actually care about reading it, something they hadn't done in years and years, and the, the passion that Bill had for that project and for journalism and, you know, his upcoming career in that field always really impressed me. He's someone who knew what he wanted to do and he wasn't going to stop until he got there. And he had a lot of fun along the way doing it from Henniger High School to Syracuse University, watching him work tirelessly to get on the air at WAER and then get a job here locally and be on TV and radio. It was just awesome to see, man. And that's one thing I'll, I'll always remember about my friend Bill is his work ethic and the passion that he had. 
And to see somebody that focused is is so special. And I'm so sad that he got cut down before he could realize those, you know, those dreams and his full potential. Uh, but what a great guy. You know, what a lot of fun we had. And I miss him. I was fortunate a couple of years later in my radio career to be interviewing Brett Michaels of Poison. He was coming to play a local festival when I was working in New Orleans, the Gretna Fest. So I did the typical over-the-phone artist interview to promote the show, and afterwards I told him about Bill, and I told him about the flowers that somebody on his team sent for the funeral. So he said, wow, that, that's really something. He said, tell you what, come backstage at the show, and we'll talk, and, um, and we'll do something special. I didn't quite know what to expect, but I went backstage, met Brett Michaels, who could not have possibly been any nicer or more gracious. And during his solo show, he dedicated Something to Believe In to Bill. And this is what it sounded like. I want to dedicate this to some very great people today. And I can't thank you enough. This next song is dedicated not only to our men and women in the military, but a good friend of ours, Bill Leaf, who unfortunately lost his life. He's such an amazing, great guy. I'd like to dedicate this to him and I as well. This is simply called Something to Believe In. Let's sing it right here, right out of life. My name's Matt Del Signor. Bill and I were classmates at Syracuse and later worked together at WSYR Radio. In my experience with Bill, there was always an element of mischief. Everything kind of came with a wink and a smirk. Nothing mean-spirited, just playful misbehavior. Bill was fond of the word mayhem. When he hosted the morning show on our college station, Z89, for a summer, he rebranded the show Mayhem in the AM when he was on. He did just enough to make management, including me, a bit nervous, but never putting the broadcast license in peril. He had the same spirit at WSYR. Bill and I worked nights together, and it always seemed to take just a bit longer to finish our stories because he'd be holding court, telling jokes, and making everyone laugh. Outside the newsroom, it was the same energy. A lot of us hung out together. And if things ever got a bit wild or random, you can bet Bill was at or near the center of the action, either leading the way or encouraging the hijinks. I remember one night that ended with Bill and a colleague of ours running through the fountains in Clinton Square at two in the morning. He took his work seriously, and I think that he was really proud to be on the radio and on TV in his hometown. But Bill also took his fun seriously, wanting to include as many people as possible, and I think we were all better for it. Here's Professor John Nicholson. Bill was in my TV news reporting class with a bunch of people. Bill was the kind of a guy, he'd sit in the back row all the time, and he would say something softly, sotto voce, so to speak. And people would start laughing in the back row. And I would say, hey, Bill, you want to share that with the whole class? And of course, Bill, being Bill, stood up and said, sure, and then proceeded to say whatever it was. It was always unbelievably funny. And my only defense was just to laugh and say, you could now? And Bill would go, yeah, and sit down and we would carry on. He was not only incredibly bright, he was so doggone funny. And you just had to laugh because what he said was always legit. I could have used more guys like him. So could the world. Here's Bill's sister, Maria. Bill died when he was 25. And 
Of course, the milestone birthdays, 25, 30, now 40. And I don't know why, but this one seems to be the hardest to stomach so far. Because obviously at 40, who knows what kind of life Bill could have had. Would he have been married with kids? Would he have been working in a major market, doing sports, the thing he loved? Would he have been doing news? Would he have been network level? Would he have been doing something completely different? Unfortunately, we'll never know. We were supposed to be, a group of us, on a flight to Vegas and spending this weekend in Vegas celebrating Jag's 40th, Matt's 40th, and Bill's 40th. And we had talked about this trip before the pandemic, and we thought that Bill's birthday weekend would be perfect so that we could try to honor him in Vegas. And unfortunately, with the pandemic, that's not happening. And that sucks. You know, I think that maybe I'll find a way uh, to celebrate somewhat on Saturday. I don't know what that's going to be just yet, because it's still, you know... It's still hard. After all these years, you would think it would be better. But it's still really hard to think about the fact that he's not here. I think about it a lot, like when I'm doing something that I know Bill would have enjoyed, going to concerts when we used to go to concerts or sporting events. You know, when the Nats won the World Series. All this stuff that I wonder what Bill would have said, the conversations we would have had, those types of things. And I try not to think about that a lot. I really do try to look at the positive. The fact that, you know, in his death, we have passed legislation increasing the penalties uh, in regards to repeat offending drunk drivers, the annual kickball tournament to raise money for a scholarship in his honor. The fact that we've kept his legacy alive all of these years in Syracuse and central New York through this tournament, people still know who he is and what happened. And I feel like we've likely have saved a lot of lives by people thinking twice about driving drunk. And you have to kind of look at the positives. You know, you would think after all these years, it would be easy to know what to say, but it really isn't. And I talk for a living. (laughs) But all I can say at this point is how thankful I am that people still remember him, honor his legacy, that I've been able to, you know, develop strong, deep friendships with many of his friends, with Jag, with Matt, with Josh. And I'm so thankful for those friendships. And I really am looking forward to when we all can go to Vegas and celebrate because I'm hoping that will be soon. Bill's going to make it happen somehow. You know, I wish I had a one-liner or a dirty joke to throw in here because it would seem like it would make sense because that's what Bill would do. He's going to have a pretty stellar birthday. Eddie Van Halen just died. So hopefully, You know, there'll be a concert and he can go see Van Halen again, even if he's not. I know he's up there celebrating with my father and my mom and other family members and all types of cool celebrities. And I know he would have been thrilled to meet in real life and whatever else. (laughs) So I hope that all of us listening to this can take time to think about the good times with Bill and, you know, raise a glass of something responsibly in his honor this weekend. And even for those who didn't know him, but know his story, the most important thing we can do at this point, the best thing we can do at this point is continue to stress the dangers of drunk driving and encouraging people to take ride sharing because 
you know, if we had ride sharing back then, Bill could have been here today. As I say every year at the kickball tournament, there really is no excuse to drive drunk. There just isn't. I miss him every day. I feel him with me often. And uh, I hope he has a fantastic birthday up in heaven. And finally, I want you to hear from Bill himself one more time. This was my very last radio show on student-run Z89 in Syracuse. I arrogantly called it Jag's Farewell Special, and I had a bunch of people on to say goodbye over like two hours. My program director wanted to kill me, but it was some really great memories. And here's a little piece of what Bill said to me as he and I wrapped up. It was just a pleasure to be a part of your college career for the last four years and vice versa. And you really have become one of my best friends, too. And uh, I wouldn't miss being here for the world right now, being here for this final shift. Just to have you a part of these four years, to live with you this past year has truly been a tremendous experience. We've had a lot of great times together. I'm going to miss you a lot, man. One of the nicest guys I've met during my time at SU. One of the nicest guys I've met in my entire lifetime. Wow. Somebody that's shared many a laugh with me over the last four years. (laughs) Many a good time, many a bad time. I'm going to be forever indebted to you for all that you've given me. And likewise, likewise. Z89 is a lot of what you are, and John Gay is a lot of what I am. I appreciate that. And I'm going to close by saying that. Bill, please know that everything you said there is more than mutual. I miss you like crazy. I know so many others do. And whatever I can do to keep your memory alive from now until I'm gone, I will continue to do because I know you would have done the same for me. Happy 40th, buddy. I love you.